Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus chews. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so excited to tell you about an amazing online community called Peanut. The Peanut app helps women connect across all stages of life, and it's a safe space to meet women nearby and have conversations about meaningful topics from sex and relationships to IVF, pregnancy, first years of parenting, midlife, and beyond. Whether you are navigating fertility, pregnancy, motherhood, or menopause, the app provides access to a community that is there to listen, share information, and offer valuable advice. I know that when I was going through various pivotal stages and milestones in my own life, community and connection with other women are essential to keeping me feeling grounded and seen. And that is why I'm so glad you get to have access to all of Peanut's great resources, whether you're in a stage of your pregnancy journey or you're a new mom, or you're simply hoping to connect with others who can validate and relate to the challenges that you're going through. And you can find me on Peanut and search for my very own group called Sexuality and Relationships with Dr. Alexandra Solomon. You can download the Peanut app for free from your app store of choice or head to peanut.app.link slash reimagininglove. The link can also be found in the show notes of this episode. That's peanut.app.link slash reimagininglove. So here we are at episode 36 of the show, and the Reimagining Love team is about to take a little summer break before resuming with brand new episodes in August. I want to first take a moment and thank you for joining me here each week. 
Whether you have been listening since the first episode back in October 2021 or you joined the Reimagining Love family just last week, I am honored that you choose to be with me in this space. Your support of the show makes all of this possible, and I am incredibly grateful for it. Thank you for being here. In this spirit, we wanted to leave you with a standout episode before going on our brief July break. As you know, I like to dream big. So I was thinking about who my ultimate, ultimate reimagining love guest would be. Many names occurred to me, my biggest inspirations and mentors, public figures, visionaries. But as I thought about it more, one person in particular stood out amongst all these people. And that was the one and only Todd Solomon. <laughs> Todd and I have been married for nearly 23 years and together for almost 30. We met in early September 1991 at the University of Michigan about four and a half minutes after saying goodbye to our parents. As you're going to hear in this episode, we built a friendship that became a romance full of twists and turns. He is the father of my children, my unabashed cheerleader, a committed Reimagining Love listener, and a really good man. And I am delighted to share him with you. Todd and I met in the studio at Northwestern University to share our story, and it was a really touching and fun experience for both of us. I want to invite you to just notice the thoughts and feelings that arise inside of you as you listen. My hope is that our conversation is going to validate or reinforce or illuminate some aspect of your life or your journey. I believe that this is the power of sharing our stories. Like all great relationships, our marriage is a forever work in progress. It's full of challenges and it's full of joy. Rather than being best or right or perfect, it is real and evolving and ours. And that is why I love it. Without further ado, let me welcome you to the first ever podcast. Hi, Todd. Hi there. <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this. I'm so excited about this. I have been nervous and excited as we lead up to this. I'm so glad you're here. Well, I'm happy to be here. This is my first one. This is number 30 something for you. So I'm just beginning. You'll have to be gentle with me. I will be gentle with you, but you also know this show. You're probably our most loyal listener. I may just be your number one fan. Yes. <laughs> you're my one and only podcast. So as we'll get into, you're my one and only woman, but also my one and only podcast. I've never listened to another podcast. Might one day, maybe yours will be a gateway. Uh -huh. But so far, yours is the only one I've, I've ever experimented with. And I'm enjoying it. So it's a pleasure to be here. I love that. You know, it's been interesting to think about, like, what is the exact relational moment that you and I will be in when we record this episode, right? Because our relationship is like, it's alive and it ebbs and flows and our moods ebb and flow and our connection ebbs and flows. And so here we are, right? We're just in this moment of our relationship with the week unfolding the way it's unfolding. But the thing I know for sure is that I'm trusting you and I to show up with love and with a willingness for us to share kind of our story. Well, you're the expert, so I'll just do my best. Okay. <laughs> 
And I also, I'm just glad you're here because I not only love you, but I also like you. And I'm really excited for the listeners of Reimagining Love to get a chance to know you, like to get a chance to have a little bit of a window into the man behind the woman. And there's so many settings where I'm very clearly the woman behind the man. But here, like in this studio with me, you're the man behind the woman. So I am excited about that. Like, I think it's really pretty cool and special that you would be willing to engage with me in a conversation about us. Well, I appreciate that. I guess I'm of two minds on it. Mm -hmm. One is I'm very, very comfortable shining on you and how much I like the show. I'm happy to be part of the show. Much less comfortable sharing my own personal stories because I'm not necessarily somebody who shares easily with the public. But I've known from when I was 17 years old and in relation to you, that that's just what you do when you're in relation to you, either <laughs> share more and, and there's more benefits than there are drawbacks. So I'm more than willing participant, but it's not natural for me, let's say, to be on any podcast, let alone one talking about my relationship, but I will do my best. <laughs> what you're saying is that you being here is just another act of service. Like this is you being in service to me and to our marriage. To a large I extent, am. yes. And and I have some baseline, I don't say discomfort, but confusion as to how this is valuable to people. But I have <laughs> immense trust that you think it will be and they think it will be. And people have apparently submitted questions. And so if they're yeah. curious, I'm more than willing, even though I, in my core, sort of have a baseline difficulty understanding how, how it is I'm a worthy guest <laughs> of your fine show, but I'm going to do my best, like I said. But you're right. We did. We collected a bunch of questions. We put a sticker on Instagram and we let people from around the world submit their questions. And you've taken a look at what people have sent in and they're thoughtful questions. Very and thoughtful, yes. But there was, I just want you to know, there was a bunch of comments that were just like, no questions, but I can't wait to learn more about your relationship. And then somebody, I'm just going to redo this one word for word. Somebody said, the list of questions is too long. Todd is like a mystery character of great intrigue ever since you posted that picture. I put a picture up of, it must, maybe I wonder if this person is talking about our, what we call oh, our the, baby picture. Yeah, the our picture first date we like, picture. Yeah. Again, I'll try not to be a profound disappointment to somebody who sits in those shoes, but I'm very happy to share. <laughs> So the next thing we're going to do is just sort of give the listeners like a little bit of a sense of the arc of our relationship, okay. like kind of the core, the big chapter highlights of our love story. But before we do that, I don't want to lose this little nugget that you just shared, which is that you've known since you were 17 years old yes. that loving me meant being willing to be shared. Be yes. Can you talk about what that means, please? Yeah. <laughs> so what that means is, you know, it's, I guess like anything in a relationship, it's two sides of the same coin or whatever, meaning it's one of the reasons I fell in love with you in the first place is just how open you are and how much people open up to you, how much you give back to them and how everything kind of gets talked about. That was just very opposite of my upbringing, not like intentional silence, but just not a lot of emotionality necessarily throwing around a lot of love in the household, but not a lot of, oh, let's all sit down and talk about this, or let's talk about our feelings, or how are you feeling about that, or any of those kinds of questions. It was not like a normal thing in my house. So I think I had a lot of those feelings. So it was not unnatural for me to become in relationship with somebody who was like that. But it was just very clear to me how everything was 
open for business with you, that you in relationship to other people were always talking about things that I never talked about or listening or asking questions that I might never ask. So it wasn't maybe until a couple months into our relationship that I sort of the stuff, maybe the best example is you sharing with your friends. So like when we started dating, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I met your best friends, your best friends would know things about me that I hadn't thought about myself or said, oh, remember when you said this or, you know, telling, quoting back to me things I said to you, which is like, that's odd. She must have told him that. But that's, I guess, what young women do. And it it never bothered me. It was just very different from the way I operated. So there was just a high level of relationality that you always had that I didn't. And I, yeah, I learned pretty early on that that was just going to be the way it was going to be, that if there was something Mm -hmm. going on in my family or we were all at you know, dinner, acting the way we always acted, which was totally normal to us, you might ask me afterwards, hey, why did nobody say anything when this happened? Or why did that person say this or that? You were always analyzing the scene and, and kind of taking in the, the relationship dynamics in a way that I just never did. So this is just sort of like par for the course 20 or well, I guess we're 32 years later, of course, I would be Instead of working today, sitting in a studio doing a podcast with you, talking about my life to, you know, largely perfect strangers to me. And I say that people who don't know me might think I'm just being sarcastic or being jerky. I'm not. I'm just being matter of fact because it's become my life, but it's become the best parts of my life, too. I love that our house is somewhere where people talk about their feelings and experience things and get asked things and and work through relationship dynamics in ways that I may never have Mm -hmm. done. I'm all on board for all of it. It's just it's not how I would be if I were not with you. Mm -hmm. We have um, two kids, Brian and Courtney, who are now at the moment of this recording, they're 17 and 19. But years ago, Courtney was having an issue with a friend. And so I had done the thing that I do, which is I probably got out paper and like mapped out the dynamics and we sort of talked about strategy and the pros and cons of, you know, this way versus this way and how is she feeling and how might the friend be feeling? And then Courtney and I were giving you an update and you like, you took your finger and you like slid it across your throat and you're like, I think you just say to her, snitches end up in ditches. <laughs> that was, yeah, that it was, was more, really, like, they were equally the, good points. Yeah. Yours was probably a little more nuanced, a little more adult. And mine was just kind of, yeah, cutting right to the core. But there was something that was, I'm sure something really permission giving for Courtney that you could, she could just be mad, right? She could just be mad about whatever the thing was right. that had happened rather than having to wonder about all the different angles. Yes, there's loveliness and beauty in the way you understand relationships. There must also be complication because your mind's always working in ways that Mm -hmm. maybe the rest of us just, Mm -hmm. oh, that was an insensitive comment. I'll move on and do something else as Mm -hmm. opposed to thinking about it all. So I'm sure we're a good match in that way because we kind of complement one another. Yeah. Okay, I didn't really have you introduce yourself. I just took us right in. But do you want to say anything about sure. like, at a high level? Like, who is Todd Solomon? Um, I am a husband and father first. So obviously your husband. We've been married 24 years this August. We've been dating for over 30 years. So since I was 17 years old, we met when I was 17. We started dating when I was 18. So long, long time. Basically any, and I was very novice in the dating realm, didn't really date at all in high school, had a lot of girls as friends, but was five, three, 104 pounds <laughs> dripping wet in high school. So didn't really draw the attraction of the, the opposite sex a whole lot other than, oh, the cute little guy in my math class kind of friend thing. So I was eager to get off to college, grew a lot between high school and college, which helped to be a more normal size and shape 
We met at University of Michigan as undergrads. I am now a practicing attorney at a large law firm in Chicago. I do a non-courtroom business consulting area of law called employee benefits. I love my job. I've been with the same law firm for 24 years, 25 if you count being a summer intern. So I kind of do things for a while. Um, that's who I am. <laughs> and lucky enough, found a place that I do that. And then we have two kids, Brian, who's turning 20 and Courtney, who's turning 18 this year. And I have some lovely friends and people I care about deeply, but those are the job, the wife and the kids are the three most important priorities in my life. And then I have a handful of little hobbies and things I like to do, but only when the other three things allow. I pretty much pour everything into work and family. Mm -hmm. The word that just swirls around your whole intro is longevity. Like you said, you do things for a long time. You have the same best friend you had since pretty Gimel much. in Hebrew school yeah. and the same wife and the same, yeah, you just, the same law firm, same Bears sports team. Yes. And going to those games for your whole Yeah, I'm very discerning. So I don't think I f fall for things that aren't right, but I've been very lucky in my life to find things that make me happy and stick with them. Mm -hmm. I'm not... Um, grass is greener sort of person, which helps a lot with relationships. I think I know we're going to talk about what it takes to be successful in a relationship. I think grass is greener must be very challenging to be in a relationship or a long-term marriage. If you're always, you know, thinking about who's got it better than you in this moment. I'm pretty, um, 30,000 foot too, meaning I'm very happy with where I am and what I do and, and who I am. So any given day, I'm pretty even, I guess, is mm -hmm. any given day. Monday's a terrible day at work. It doesn't mean I want to quit my job or, you know, Friday, my family's annoying me. It doesn't mean I want to, you know, move out on Saturday. I'm, I'm just pretty, yeah. how is life and the big picture going for me? And I've won more than I've lost in, in the game of life. I've had some very difficult setbacks too. So for those who think, well, if they're listening to me, this guy's just really lucky. He's got this good job and he's got this and that. I've had some very terrible things happen in my life yes. too. I've had a father who was like very close thing to a best friend who got cancer and died at age 58. Mm -hmm. um, some significant health problems for my mom at a younger age, son who's got some learning disabilities and special needs challenges. I mean, not, not everything's been easy, but I'm pretty happy with who I am and where I am. And yeah. you're obviously a big part of that. I think a lot about how I don't think we can deny the ways in which privilege has been like we've had the wind at our back in this sure. marriage in a lot of ways in terms of being white, being multiple generations of college educated folks. We are ourselves well educated and you have been an amazing breadwinner. So there's lots of ways that we've had the wind at our back. So I'm th I think about when people are listening to this, I want listeners to kind of filter through like that awareness of the ways that we what's the expression you always use? Like you can't. You can't say that you, you can't act like you hit a home run if you started on third base. Third yeah. base. Yeah. And there's lots of ways that this marriage started on third base. And there's lots of ways that it really, really didn't. My family of origin is incredibly complicated. And there's lots of ways that I have earned right. attachment security in the context of this marriage. And that, right. when we talk about the challenges in our relationship, that is for sure, Ben, a lot of the challenge in our relationship is I was a pretty insecure partner, insecurely attached partner to you. I was ambivalent about what this was and where this was going. And, and we are here sitting in this conversation today because you were able to hold steady 
I guess I just want to hold on to like that both and of the privilege we've enjoyed. I was just going to say both. And. You were going to do both. I was. Well, My favorite podcast host what? uses that all the time. Okay, and I was looking it. forward to saying it. But <laughs> so yes, it's a both and. I think people listening can have both thoughts in their head. Like yes, oh this guy, you know, easy for him to talk about. He likes his work. He's a partner at a law firm. That's a you know cushy job. Well, it's not. Whatever. All those things you said, those can both be true. Everybody's got something in their lives that has been challenging, and we have our fair share. Let's mm-hmm. just say that, even though we've been awfully lucky and privileged as well. And by the way, we work our asses off at both. I work my ass off at work and I'm, you know, yes, achieve some mess- measure of success, but I work really, really hard at it. And I went to a good law school, but I worked really, really hard to be there and to get through it and get good grades and all this stuff. So, yeah, I think it's both in. You get you, hopefully people hear it and they say they identify with some pieces of it because, yes, there's some winded our sails and yes, there's some wind in our face, you know, like yeah. somebody listening to this probably has a lovely parent who's 75 and they're having dinner with next Sunday and appreciate that that's something you have and I don't like everybody has and everybody doesn't have. And, you know, it's not about scorekeeping. It's about, you know, just kind of figuring out whatever it is you're dealing with or your situation holds, you know, hopefully there's some lessons that are relatable, but I agree with you. I think that it's a both hand. Mm-hmm. 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 Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So we met about three and a half minutes after our parents dropped us off yes. in the dorm at University of Michigan, Moshe Jordan dorm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were across the hall neighbors for the whole first 352 year. 352 and 353. So this wasn't like down the hall. This is like our doors were six feet away from each other yeah. in a narrow hallway. Yes. We lived as close as two people could live to each other without living together. <laughs> yes. I loved living in a co I mean, imagine me being little high school guy who, you know, had no real sniff of romantic interest, but was highly interested living next door to women who, <laughs> you know, might walk around as college women do sometimes, you know, going to the shower. I mean, it was just, it was, it was, yeah, it was a, we're a amazing, yeah, amazing experience for a young man like me to live in a co-ed dorm in a co-ed hall. So I was enchanted with the whole idea of it, uh-huh, frankly, uh-huh. without even knowing I would be. I didn't, I don't think sign up for a co-ed dorm. I think I just thought they all were, but 
what a revelation. Yeah. Yeah. And we formed this really fun, eclectic friend group, what our kids call a friend group. I don't, we didn't call it a friend group yeah. back then. But our group of friends that we would have all of our meals together and go find parties together on the weekends was a co-ed just a really diverse, eclectic group of friends. And what I remember, what we often talk about when we talk about that first year of college is that we were part of this group of friends. So we were together a lot. And it was another like sort of both and of we were friends and there was something different. Like I remember like moments of like making a joke at the dinner table or the big kind of collective dorm dinner table, making a joke. And like the, the thing I cared about was whether or not you thought the joke was funny. So right. there were these like moments and flashes or if I had something upsetting happen, like whether it was a good day or a bad day, I knew that you were the one by pretty early on, by winter for sure. I knew that you were the one that I wanted to come process a bad thing with or celebrate the good thing with. Right. And so it was like this both we were part of this big group while also pretty quickly developing the sense of that there's something different between the two of us. Yes, I agree. Although I have to say, I mean, I think it was really different friendship. At least for me, there was no, other than there was romantic interest in everyone and everything at that point for me, like I was just sort of open to the idea of like getting out of the high school thing where I wasn't necessarily seen as somebody who would date or could date. So I was kind of interested in dating anybody. I was not particularly interested in dating you or anybody in that group. Like it really Mm -hmm. did start as a friendship. So Mm -hmm. for again, people listening, like is there a best way? I don't think there's any best way, but I would be a huge advocate of entering into a relationship that way because we gained so much familiarity with each other before there was ever any real attraction, I think. That's right. I um, agree. Like months, probably. Yes. Um, which is interesting, but also great because I was never angling for anything. I was never trying to get to know you differently than anybody else or getting to spend more time with you. It was months in before that was a thing. Yeah. Months of spending almost every day together hours a day together because it was college. You just had a lot of time. We had spent dozens, if not hundreds of hours before I sort of had a hint that maybe there should be a romantic issue there or an attraction there. And then our, what we now call our makeout anniversary happened Mm -hmm. on April 4th. So I think by that point, I knew you had feelings for me. Definitely did. And I knew how good I felt with you. And I knew I was very much confused about how I could fall for somebody shorter than me. Right. (laughs) You know, that was like, like I would go, I remember walking into a fraternity party with my friends and they'd be like, look at the cute boy over there. And I'd be like, who? Because I wouldn't even, I had a sight line that I wouldn't even see beyond. So I had to like deconstruct that whole idea of what a guy and a girl should look like together with how, how our bodies should look. And I knew what I felt with you. And I knew how you were starting to feel about me. And uh, thank God I, I went for it. My yeah. gosh. Okay, go ahead. You were gonna no, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I guess I had some level of, you know, 18 year old overconfidence about that whole thing. I just believed it didn't matter and never really took it that seriously. Honestly, I knew that was an issue for you. I just I figured you'd get over it. Thank God you did. Seriously. You could have been like, oh my God, the last thing I want is to be seen with a woman who like is a lot taller than me. I didn't worry about it. I just never, I didn't, I just didn't register with me. By that point, I was so in that I was not going to deter my intentions to try to make a relationship out of it. So I just, I don't remember when you'd bring it up if I'd say, don't worry about it, or if I just said nothing, but 
I mean, there were times you'd bring it up and I was just, I don't know, I just didn't care. I mean, it's so nice and that there's like literally nothing to be done about it. It also was nice yeah. that that was when Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise were together. Right, so it was I a big know. thing. Look how that turned out. That's right. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's right. Okay, well, I, so this is challenging because we got to fast forward a little bit. Sure. But we, I think it is important to name that we had a couple of really yucky breakups over the college years. Mm-hmm. And we were, by the time we started applying to graduate school, senior year, we were back together enough that we were strategic in how and where we applied for grad school. You were applying to law school. I was applying to yep. doctoral programs. And so we kind of coordinated our searches. But that was like between April 4th of freshman year when we had our first kiss at your fraternity formal yeah. and applying to graduate programs senior year. We had a couple of really bumpy chapters that I... I believe there were two. Okay. I think. And I feel like we should... Maybe touch on sure. those, even though what I, don't, would you like to, I don't like to. What would you like to say? I would just like to say I'm sorry. Yes. Well, it's funny because, yeah, when you say we had breakups, I guess I was. I mean, you're, you know, it takes two to tango. But, yeah, I was never on board for either of them. So, yeah, it was you had to work through what you had to work through. And I think maybe that's what you're getting at with when you led with, like, insecure attachment. Maybe, you, I mean, it never felt, I mean, the, the reason why I stayed around and sort of just, you know, lying in wait, if you will, was because I was pretty sure you were going to change your mind. I don't know, again, maybe that's 19-year-old, probably fast forward, not 18 at that point, 19-year-old, and then again, 20-year-old, overconfidence, because I think there was one in sophomore year and one at the end of junior yeah, year. Yeah, so yeah. I was probably 19 during one, 20 during other. There were these sort of brief breaks where you sort of, yeah, I got to take a break or it was never about me. Maybe that was it. It, mm, it was never, I never right. heard that's you right. say, I don't like you. I don't love that's you. Right. I don't want to be with you. It was always, well, I got to do this. Or, you know, I, I, <laughs> that was mean. Sorry. <laughs> Um, it was like, I just didn't believe it. I guess I didn't believe it. And so I didn't stalk your apartment. I didn't, you know, stay around, meaning I'm going to keep showing up, even though she's told me we're broken up. I, we went our separate ways like you're supposed to, mm-hmm. but I never stopped remaining in some level of touch. And I never stopped in my mind living in the relationship because I just didn't believe it was going to end that way or ever. And that's a weird thing, I guess, but I don't know if there's a lesson in that for anybody who's listening or not. But mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. maybe the lesson is, you know, sometimes people get in their own heads and don't let it ruin a relationship. Like if somebody yes. breaks up with you and you think they're not thinking right and you think they're going to be back, leave room in your mind for them to come back or something. Because mm-hmm. I could have been. I was very I – mean, I am. I'm still super competitive. I, in my bad days, I could be super spiteful, meaning I, I kind of like – even with athletes or people, you know, like yeah. in my sports, like Aaron Rodgers. I hate Aaron Rodgers. <gasps> I don't care if he's listening. I hope he's listening and I hope he reaches out because I would tell him I can't stand him. Not as a person, but just as a competitor. I hate the guy and I hope he's listening. I hope somebody tweets this. One of your great audience tweets at Aaron Rodgers and then he says, and I could send him the picture of me yelling at him in the end zone last, you know, fall when he, when he did his whole thing. <laughs> Something like that. I'm just, I'm very competitive yes. in nature. So I easily could have shut you off in my mind because you did something bad to me, right. meaning you broke my heart, whatever right. you want to call it. You said this is over when it didn't have to be over. I, I never did. And I don't to this day really know why, because um, I might have with somebody else. Um, I think it was just how I felt about you and how deeply I felt that you were the right person for me and how 
maybe deeply I was hanging on to some element of what are you telling me? You're not telling me it's not me. You're not telling me you're talking about height or you're talking about family or you're talking about, you know, readiness, I explore this or readiness. Mm-hmm. Like, that was all just like nonsense to me. It was like, say something about me and then I'll go away. Mm-hmm. And you never did. And I didn't say it that way, but that's how I was thinking of it in my mind. So I always tried to stay within one circle of you figuring we were going to get back together at some point, And we always did. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake. It was very painful. Yes. And you do have to build that into a relationship like, you know, because I wasn't maybe in touch with that at the time of like how painful that is to just be kind of like pushed aside too strong of words. You're allowed to live your life. But like, you know, to be the one who's like broken up with or be the one who feels like they're not good enough or whatever. It's very hard. And I still to this day, you know, talking about it's not real pleasant. No, I don't I would like to be done. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, it's not I don't me. Get it's mad. decades ago. Like, right. It doesn't even really yeah. feel like you. It feels like a different version of you, but it's still very hurtful. It's sure. like still like. I don't like thinking about it, that sure. we could do these things to each other that hurt each other. But that's, that's right. life. You know, we, we can sure you could come up with things I've done, not breaking up with you because I would never do that. <laughs> um, but other things I've said or I've done like but that's yeah. that's part of being an adult in this life is you have to hold the complexity of who this person is to you and what they might have done yeah. in a weak moment or in a time when they were struggling or when they were distracted or when they were their workaholic year, whatever it is. I don't know. I'm going on, but I just think that it still lives within us. Right. That's right. It's part of our story, but our story is more good than bad. So I'm not like uptight about it. It does still hold a charge inside of me too, in terms of feeling badly about it or embarrassed about it or some shame about it. And I hold... 19 too. So like if anybody should feel like embarrassed, it's me. Like, what are you so sure you're <laughs> you know, he's <laughs> lingering around after the same person breaks up with you twice and you got to like, you know, keep plugging away. Like, I mean, it's equally embarrassing on both sides, probably. I'm glad we got through it. It took me a while to let myself feel good, like let myself feel worthy of of you, really, like of a partner who was available and present, whose like words were aligned with his actions. Right. Like who It took me a while to like to ease into or to let myself feel into like, okay, I can have this. I can do this. Um, So like you said, it it wasn't really about you, except that I had to let myself work through some stuff. Yeah. So thank you for being patient. Oh, sure. So then we got married. We got married in 98. You were done with law school and I was working through my PhD. We had a beautiful wedding. Mm -hmm. It's It's fun. We haven't done it for a while, but we sometimes show the kids the wedding video yep. and still on a VHS tape, uh-huh. which is running out of utility. We got to probably convert that at some point. We just have one TV in the basement that can play yeah, a VHS tape. VHS. We just we'll rely watch on it once every 10 years. <laughs> and then we had, um, we had Brian a few years into our marriage mm-hmm. and Courtney came along a couple of years later. There's, I mean, obviously we could do entire episodes about those transitions. I do. I think the sort of like the takeaway for the listener on those transitions is that my career is the one that has flexed around work family more so than yours, but you have been obviously an incredibly present dad for all these years, but you also took every ounce of paternity leave um, when both the kids were born. At that point in time at your firm, it was a pretty new... um, For Brian, it was very new. It was one of the top, you know, first three or so people to ever use it. Four weeks off, paid, no work. No electronics either, which people listening probably can't fathom that nobody could get a hold of me. I mean, they could have left me a voicemail or something, but um, there was no 
you didn't have a laptop back then and you didn't have a phone or a BlackBerry. It was, you left work at work. It was almost like, you know, he's gone. We'll just, you know, sign his work to other people. And then when he comes back, he'll come back, you know, do whatever he was doing before. Nobody's going to call and ask for anything while I was gone. No, but you still had to make the choice to do it. Yes. And I'm very glad I did. I am too. I think it was just for you and I to kind of muddle around and figure out how the heck to take care of a baby. To be able to do that together was pretty It was sacred. essential, yes. Yeah. And I think it set the tone then for how active a parent. Yes. I mean, and it just was not my, I was the youngest child. I didn't have nieces or uh, cousins or like I, Brian was the second baby I ever held. Hmm. Wow. I think. Second mm-hmm. or Matt, third. Yeah. One mm-hmm. nephew. And I didn't even hold him. I didn't really do anything with Matt. I might have held Matt once. I, I didn't. I, I babysat him when he was two. Yeah. And I remember that was like really cool because he was like he can walk around and I can just play with him and do stuff. But I, I didn't hold babies like when I was growing up. Or, so, yeah. So to have time off to like I'm going to figure this out and I'm not going to be because I knew what my career was going to demand. I knew I was going to be a busy person, but I was like I'm not going to just be parent number two. I'm going to be some other category, even if a lot of the times you, you had more of the primary responsibilities. I wanted to be not, it was never equal probably, but it was going to be something in hybrid category. Well, clearly it took because you and Brian just did a, uh, a man trip and he came back. And one of the first things he said to me is mom, after a couple of days of traveling with you, I would get sick of you but it is literally impossible for me to get sick of dad. <laughs> so it was, it took. You we have a high, yes, <laughs> tolerance for each other. You do. We yeah. probably can't get sick of each other. Yeah. It's really. But we're both super easy for other people to get sick of. So that's why we <laughs> like each other. Because <laughs> like, he's a lot. I'm not maybe as much, but I'm not, you know, necessarily. Everybody's Mr. Congeniality. So we, we do perfect together. Yeah. Yep. That was a good, that was a good trip. <laughs> And then, right. And Can now, I go back though? Cause oh, I, yeah. it just occurred to me when you were talking about the beginning of the relationship, like the moving in together and the oh. marriage and stuff like that's when the conflict started. Like we didn't have conflict in our relationship mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because we had two breakups without conflict. Mm-hmm. The conflict was the breakups. The breakups mm-hmm. were never the result of a fight or arguing like we were so close still continue to be so close in temperament and personality and sense of humor and other things we're very similar I think or we get along very well yeah still don't fight a lot we pick or we get annoyed but like the early part of our relationship was like we didn't have our first fight till we moved in together I think like our first real fight yeah um and that's noticeable I think or worth shining a light on that could have been like five years in at some point. I mean, honestly, I feel like a first fight was like three or four or five years in, which is not everybody's case. So like, you know, when I look for red flags or think about during our kids entering relationships or something like, I hope that they can find a relationship where they're not fighting all the time. Like this idea that you have to work through things is mm-hmm. absolutely true. But the idea that you have to work through everything. Yeah. I wanted to at least shine the right. light on that is like right. we had to work through some things. We didn't have to work through everything. Like the, the, you hear stories of, well, my boyfriend and I are fighting all the time. We're constantly in conflict. Or he always criticizes me. Like, you know, at some point there's got to be some time before the storm or, you know, or I don't want to say honeymoon phase, but like if everything's a problem, I don't think you can work through everything, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. If, yep. I, I just want to 
I feel like we skipped over that. So I want to go back to that because I feel like even the breakups were never like you did this, you did this or fight, fight, fight. It was like this silent breakup. And then mm-hmm. it's like, we're going to, I'm going to have to reexamine whether I can be this serious and then please leave. Please leave. <laughs> it wasn't like a fight or, you know, like I think right, right. Like, no, people I think can hear that and think, yeah. wow, they broke up twice. They must have had a lot of conflict at the end. There was no conflict. The conflict was the breakup. I think you and I definitely both tend towards being more conflict avoidant. Like you're saying, we now we don't even, I mean, we don't yell really. I we sometimes will raise our voice and be sharp. Yesterday we were sharp with each other. <laughs> but it like ended really quickly and we just took, I think we both went and took naps. Right. We all put ourselves <laughs> just, to sleep. Yeah. But yeah, so we're not super, we're not conflictual people. And like you said, we just, we're fond of each other. So I think that's, that is a good point, right? If if everything feels hard, and I think part of it, I spend a lot of time talking about when I'm in a teaching mode or a counseling mode, that it is like part of falling in love with somebody is thinking about your relationship as this third entity. And so you do have to kind of accommodate, ask for accommodation, like that. And I think sometimes couples get into it because giving an inch feels like losing yourself and people have a hard time teasing apart what's being in the service of the relationship and what's loss of self. Right. Exactly. No, I agree. Okay. Okay. I mean, obviously we're like fast forwarding, but like now our next thing that we're starting to do is emptying our nest. And a student said to me, so I was lecturing, I did my last lecture at Marriage 101 last week and I talk about weddings and domestic, like kind of building a house, um, creating a home with somebody and parenthood. And I was talking about the transition to parenthood and one of the students raised their hand and they said, is emptying a nest as difficult as becoming parents? Yeah. I want to tell you, tell you what I said. Okay. My answer, I but then, my answer as well. Okay. I very quickly was like, nope, mm-mm. having kids is way harder than emptying a nest. And I said, because when you have kids, it's like so discontinuous, like your life before you have a kid, a baby, and then your life with a baby, it's so dis- like what a Tuesday looks like is so massively, seismically different before right. a baby and after baby. Right. So then emptying a nest, it's not so seismic. But I think now that we have Brian back home again for the summer, and I just feel the shift between when it was the three of us, you mm. and me and Courtney, and without Brian, now Brian's back home. I feel how big that shift is. So I wonder if maybe emptying our nest is going to be as seismic as having parents, in which case we got to just, <laughs> we got to just be, be sweet and figure it out. Yeah. I guess what I would have said is having kids is way harder socially, emotionally, um, you know, stress wise and emptying the nest is harder purely from a, just sort of like the sadness of it or the emotional standpoint. Like it's logistically so much easier. You know, you get like this time back. Time's been your enemy, but time's your friend now. Like there's nobody to cook for or plan around. And it's like, you know, even now we're not empty yet, but, you know, one was off college and one might be out on Friday, Saturday night. And he's like, for the first time in 20 years, you're like, what should we do for dinner? And you have to decide just the two of us. And we don't, we can go out, but we don't have to call a babysitter or we don't have to miss out on something or you don't have to feel at all guilty. Like it's just so mind bending, but it's also very sad because, you know, there's just like a chapter that's closing and there's something that's, I'm wrestling with this now. I think like that's very difficult about being decidedly middle-aged, whether it's the sandwich generation with like elderly parents or parents that are nearing end of life. Like it's just a hard age to be. It's a harder age to be at. So like, 
on the one hand, having kids is brutal. You're being woken up every two hours when you have to work the next day. And there's love that they give back because they like squeeze you and hug you, but they don't do anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's a, just a strange, yes. very difficult yeah. way to like give all of yourself to this little human being who, who doesn't give much of it back, but one day will. You're just mm-hmm. like taking this big bet that <laughs> one day they're going to be great. Um, but when they're babies, they're not that great. Um, they're cute, but they're, they're not. Smushy. Yeah, they're just yeah. like. Especially when you're the dad, when you're not, you can't even feed them and, you know, you can feed them a bottle, but they don't like that half the time. Like, I I assume there's much more about motherhood that's like physical and like, I didn't, you know, when they're babies, I didn't, I had attachment to the idea of them more than I had attachment to them. So, 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 it was brutal at the beginning, yeah. but you were young too, you know, that uh, you had like your whole life right. in front of you and you had these visions and, and being 50 is not old, but it's oldish. Like we're, you know, when we're empty nesting, we'll be right around 50. It's weird. You know, you start thinking like, how long am I going to work this job? And how long am I going to be able to run the way I used to run? And there are aches and pains and things that you yeah. just start getting a little bit old. So it's like you say, like that you never, you hit things when you hit them. Um, and obviously people hit parenthood at different ages, but it's sometimes you wish you could hit certain things and combine certain elements of mm. of those times. Yes. So like, I wish I could be young and energetic. I wish I could be the 28-year-old me empty nesting, be that physically right. vibrant and go out till two in the morning and, you know, whatever I could have done right. to have the time I have as an empty nester. Now I just want to go to bed or watch TV with you or, you know, I don't want to go to the club till two in the morning, but I wish... Mm. But we, we could, we could, and we might still. We may, we'll see. <laughs> oh, and then same thing, like I wish I was 48-year-old me holding that baby in the middle of the night and just be like, don't fucking worry about how tired you are. That's this right. is like a little baby, and you're going to, one day he's going to be massive six-foot monster who, yeah, you know, time. you know, you just have to like say, you know, don't eat a whole bag of Cheetos at, at midnight, you know, and these like things. <laughs> so I don't know, I'm, I'm rambling yeah, on, no, but I see what you mean. time uh-huh. is such a funny thing, and uh-huh. I think you... That's what I'm struggling with with the emptiness is like really wrestling right now with time. Yes, I hear that. Especially having a dad who died at 58, I guess I get a little funky about. Right. Geez, if I only have nine years left, then I better get cracking on certain things. Right, 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 right. I don't know. That's pessimistic, but it's real though when you get a little older. It's really real. It's so mind bending and it's. I, I mean, I hear you on the part about like wishing, like I often say, like, I wish I could go back and have like a day with like four-year-old Brian and two-year-old Courtney Absolutely. or, you know, it just, I wish I would have appreciated it more at the time, but I don't know that you can, I think, because you are, like you're saying, you're like, there's so much guiding these little people through a day and thinking about what the next thing is and who's going to have a meltdown and, right. um, and you and there's I have just always, a lot of planning. Yeah. Yeah. Planning and yeah. managing. And, you know, you and I have always had the added layer of, one of our kids was some special needs, and so there was always... It sort of doubles or triples the planning. Sure. I think all parents have to do planning. Kids with special needs or parents of kids with special needs have to plan more. I don't think that's right. a controversial statement. No, we have to have contingencies. Yes, you can't just show up a birthday everything. party. What happens if he doesn't want to stay? What happens right. if he pulls the kid's hair? What happens if this, right. that, the other thing? Yes, I right. think that's legitimate. True fact. Pivot. We would become experts at the pivot. Yep. Yeah. Can't change time, but all we can do is... Well, I think I, I think there's some, this is make me cry. I got so far without crying. I think part of what I love about being married to you is that when I'm with you, I can like remember, like in this conversation, right? Like we're, I'm remembering like 19 year old right. me. So when you look at me, you see 48, almost 49 year old me, but like I know that part of you remembers 18 year old. Like you have right. that 
version of me living inside of your. Yes. And likewise for you, like yes. the, we can, when we reminisce, we can go so far back and that's just that I think yes. in some way that softens the edges of it. For right. Me. And especially, and I feel like this is heightened for me because of who you are and how I've lived since I've known you being, you know, more open. And I mean, I, I mean, I was a good kid and stuff. I, but I feel like everything I've done in substance in my life, you've been a part of like that. I mm. became kind of a different version of myself when I was 17 and went away to college. I was very good student. Nice. I mean, I'm sure my mom would have said, Oh, what a great son. But I don't think I was, you know, particularly fully formed because mm -hmm. cause you're, you're not, you know, a lot of people are, but I certainly wasn't. So like the idea that yes, anything that's been meaningful in my life, you've been a part of is kind of a big deal mm -hmm. at this sitting at this age. Yeah, absolutely. One of the most special moments that I've been able to have with you lately is right when Reimagining Love came out. I think it must have been. The show was like months and months and months in the planning. And then episode one came out. Right. And then you listened to it. And you came home and you said, can you please come upstairs? I need to talk to you. And I was like the little girl, like getting like like pulled out of class by the principal. I was like, oh, God, what did I do? And you took me upstairs and we sat on the bed and you said, I want you to know that I I'm going to cry again. I didn't, I did not marry you because you were extraordinary. I never have wanted or needed you to be extraordinary. But listening to your show today, I realize you're extraordinary. I, I'm, I'm so glad that you would, you know, it just was like this, like such a beautiful compliment. Like it just, and that's the same thing. Like you, because you knew me when I took my first psychology class, my first women's studies class. Right. And You've been with me every single step of my development. And right, there's so many ways that this. So just like you like listen to the show and then that's right. what you had to say about the show is like, wow. Well, now and again, it makes sense to pause. And I mean, I think that's I'm not like an everyday, you know, right. You love notes kind of person. But I think now and again, I like shining a light on things that I think are exceptional about you or about us. Or, you know, I call them grand gestures, I guess. You do call them, um, I, I think like every marriage needs to have a grand gesture, you know, at least every couple of years or whatever. <laughs> um, and that one wasn't really planned. I think it was, it was true admiration. It was sort of like, I knew what it was because I just listened to it and it was really, really good. And I was like, people are really going to like this. And, or, and man, I feel like maybe it was even after there was some early you know, returns like, oh, wow, people are really listening to this or it got rated yeah. something or I, yeah. I feel like because that was part of it, too. Like, I'm always overwhelmed by the good you're doing in the world and how you talk about things and how people listen. But I'm flat out amazed by doing something from nothing like this is something that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Like and maybe it's because I'm part of such a great institution. Like I'm very good, I think, at what I do. And I'm very successful in many ways, but I'm part of a major, massive institution. Like nothing I do is something I do on my own. I'm part of a, you know, a larger ship. And like this idea that this podcast didn't exist and you're going to come up with it and it's going to be this good and you're going to get real quality experts on and then people are going to listen to it. It was, just, I don't know, I was just kind of overwhelmed with it. So it felt like important to shine a light on that. I like to sometimes step out of my own life and be an observer or our own life. And, and like, what would I think if I was like watching a TV show about this or a documentary or, or like, so sometimes that's what makes it easy for me to make these grand proclamations. Cause part of me was me saying it to you, but part of me was just like, 
what a thing that was. Mm -hmm. Like when you do something amazing, tell somebody they did something amazing. Mm -hmm. And I felt the same way about the books. Like you wrote this whole thing and nobody told you to do it. Nobody did an outline. Nobody's like, you should write a book. It was just like, I'm going to write a book. (laughs) And then, okay, well, anybody could write a book, but well, people read it and well, you know, like it's, and it's really good and it's really helpful. And people from Australia and UK and you know, all these people around the world, they're like, you really helped me. Like, that's an amazing thing. It's better than anything I'll ever do. And it's better than a lot of people do because it just is so positive for the world too, which is really nice. So that's why I said it. Um, and not to uh, not to scratch your back right after you scratch mine, but like you don't but, have to scratch. But like it's so clear to me that I get to do this because you do that. Because you do what you do, I can do what I can do. And that's not just in terms of you being like kind of our financial anchor. That's certainly a part of it. I, I can do some things that are risky or have returns in other ways that are not (laughs) monetary. But it's also because you love me, because you love me consistently, because you show up for me consistently, because you never, when I said, I think I want to write a second book, you're like, good, do it. Like, because you support and elevate and celebrate me, I can keep taking risks. Like, I can take risks because I feel secure because I have your support and, and you love me. And then I can, I can love the world and I can like be big in the world or be emotional in the world because I'm resourced. Sure. But you could also have written something that was kind of garbage because you didn't spend a lot of time, you know, like you could have written something that just wasn't very good and you didn't. So like, yeah, but I hear what you're saying. Yes. We both work. We both are not afraid of hard work. I mean, think about when we were talking about, about college, like that's how we, dated in college we would like meet at the ugly the undergraduate library library, sit across from each other eat snacks and study right and then go get chilitos from taco bell yep the only (laughs) thing open after 2 (laughs) a.m we have these beautiful questions and we are not going to get through all of them but i want us to tackle a few so may i may i ask you a few questions certainly okay this one was really sweet you always mention todd is your rock while you spin I am also a spinner. Do you have any advice for my partner? So I, you know, when I'm, when I'm describing our relationship dynamic, yeah. I often say that part of what drew me to you is your emotional steadiness and that I feel everything to the nth degree, right. express things that I'm more moody and you're more of a rock. Right. And there are times when I kind of feel that's part of my sometimes annoyance with you is that you are right. so steady that sometimes... I want you to right. get, get a rise out of me. Get a rise out of you. I think this is a question for you. Like, what's your advice for this person is saying that they're the spinner and maybe their partner is the rock, but maybe having a bit of a hard time with the spinner. What, what do you have yeah. to say to the fellow rocks of the world? The fellow rocks of the world. <laughs> I would say a couple of things. One is stealing this all from you, of course. It's a relationship mm-hmm. dynamic, right? It's a two person thing. So the person who's you know, don't let somebody spin by themselves, you know, like that if they're spinning, you know, try to see what you can do to help and support, but like do it in relation to each other. In other words, like if you're using our example, if, if I feel like you're spinning, yeah, I would try to be in relation to you and say, how can I support you or what can I do? I mean, it, it's a delicate line because you got to avoid, you know, being, you know, Mr. Fix it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to give you advice. I don't, Typically, I try not to. Sometimes right. it just happens, especially when I'm busy and I just like don't have a lot of deep breath, like just listen kind of thing. I'm just like, do this, do that. Here's what you should do. Done. You know, that's not helpful. So mm-hmm. I'd say try to stay out of advice land, yeah. but then but try to stay squarely in relation. Like, in other words, the person who's spinning, if they're spinning out of relation to you, that is a 
kind of dangerous thing, I think, you know, because they could do something that hurts the relationship or feel distant. Um, so always try to stay in relationship and just sort of offer the support and try to bring somebody back in because I don't think anybody spins forever. And, mm -hmm. and if that's the dynamic, I'm sure there's some element of the rock that the person appreciates. So just try to make yourself available. And, you know, at least when we were young, that to me was like, sometimes it was sure. just kind of out of control. I ha I tried to keep you in relationship, but you would spin, you know, whether I would keep you engaged or not, but just try to stay connected in some way. And then I would say seek couples counseling too, or like right. you know, that is part of how we work through some of this stuff is you're not afraid to say that therapy is, you know, a good option for couples. I'm not afraid to do whatever I think is, you know, good for success. So I had not been to therapy before I met you, but gosh, we saw like a premarital counselor, an early marital counselor, a counselor after Brian's diagnosis. I mean, we've seen like yeah. four or five maybe yeah. over the course of 25 years. And it's, you know, arguably could have been times where we had seen more because it just always helps if you find a good one. It's just That's like right. always some benefit and maybe it's not what you need, but there's going to be some like incremental help. So I'd say spin in your rock in a couples therapist office and talk about it with somebody. And if couples therapy can be helpful for us, it can be helpful for anybody because I am a very difficult couples therapy client. I'm a very good individual therapy right. client. I have my individual therapist that I've had for a long time and but yeah, when it's in, when we're in couples therapy together, I am not an easy client because I just want to manage the session. And I'm like, what, why are you on this path? What right. are you doing? Yeah, so if, if it can help us, yeah. it can help. I agree. I think there's a difference between when I'm spinning about something that has to do with the two of us versus when I'm spinning about something that has to do with my relationship with myself, my relationship with one of the kids, a sort of a crisis in my family of origin. So spinning is different. And I would suspect it's harder to right. stay patient and present with me if I'm spinning about something that, right. you know, where I'm tangled up in something that's happening between the two right. of us. But right. I know that when I'm spinning about something that's happening with somebody with a friendship or a work thing or right. a family thing, it is just so helpful. Like we'll just put on our shoes and go for a walk and you will just give me space to talk it through. Right. And I do think you avoid advice giving. And I don't even know Not sometimes always, if it matters but... what you say as much as it is like you just Give me space to right. talk things through. And then I guess the other thing I should have added is not take things so personally for the rock person in the spin. Because I don't know what spinning looks like, but if spinning looks like a lot of anxiety and, and like criticism um, that usually, and I'm going to sound like a pop psychologist here, I think spinning might be like somebody talking to you the way they talk to themselves internally. So like <laughs> if, and I've heard, I think I've heard you say this or certainly heard this said, like if there are ways that spinning means, you know, he or she is critical of you or sort of like picking at you, realize that's probably the internal dialogue that's going on about themselves that they just need to sort of work through or have that. So like, you know, A, don't take it so personally, but B, don't be afraid to stand up for yourself and say something like, I know you're anxious, but, you know, please don't talk to me like this or that. That's right. That's right. Or don't take it out on me or I haven't done anything. I just want to talk. That's right. Those kinds of things. I, I That's think something that took me a while to learn is how to, like, stand up to you that way and say, like, I know you're anxious, but you can't pick at me all the time or yeah. do this or that. Yeah. It requires discernment on both of our parts because there are times when you're right. The things I'm saying to you reflect the quality of the inner dialogue inside of my head. So if I've been mean to me around an issue or in the course of a day, I, it's very easy for me to be mean to you. Right. And I think 
And there are times when I have observations or feedback or I'm articulating something I want or need you to do differently. Right. That really, it is incumbent on you to like lean in, listen to it, take it under consideration. But you're right. You have to discern, is she venting in a way that isn't personal to me? And I I have to just like weather the storm and stand up for myself and, you know, ask her to redirect. Or is it something where I need to take this in and consider what she's talking about and right. do it differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if the rock person is somebody that's like deeply in love or deeply committed, kind of like I have expressed that I am with you, like that's going to be a pride point for that person is, you know, like no, nobody's ever died. And then at their funeral, like people are like, you know, that person was too patient or, you know, they were really too patient or they really serve people too much. Like it just doesn't happen. So like <laughs> have some pride in like if that, if you, if it's somebody you love and the relationship's healthy and you're the rock person, like just kind of own it and have some pride in that. Like, I, I don't think I'm that quite as much as I used to be, but like I always felt like kind of proud of that, that I can help you and your family dynamic was a little, you know, swirlier than mine. And I could just support you through that. And I felt proud about that. Like, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. And it does not mean that you're a doormat. Right. I think that's what people. That's- yeah, they think they presume. Yeah, you're a doormat and, you know, living a life of service to people you love are not the same thing. I was hoping you would pause once. You always do that with your good guests. And I was hoping I would get one either pause or asking me to repeat, say that again. Say so that again. I, yeah, so I'm, but that's I, such a good one. What I you got saying, one of those, that, what you that shows again? that I'm it's a fan. so good. I don't even remember what I said, so I can't it's say it so again. It's so good. That living a life of service is not the same as being a doormat. Is that what I said? It's a source of pride for you at work. And absolutely you know, like, are of service and yes. then, and with as a father and right. Same father. thing with your kids. I mean, yeah, obviously doormats a little trickier with kids and discipline and things like that. But yeah, being somebody who's of service to your kids is not, you know, anything that other than a source of pride for me, just like ushering them through the world and doing whatever they need me to do to help them become adults. This is a question for both of us. How do you work with annoyance? Do we think that means you doing annoying things like in the house? Or- sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I would um, like the record to show that I have been, I'm like three for three days on closing the shower yeah, door. Did you notice yes. it today? Uh, no, I didn't notice it today. I didn't that's even great. ask for a gold star or that's a cookie, true, right? but I closed the shower door and I think I'm on day three. I'm for you. Three days into my recovery. I was, <laughs> I was a leave the shower door open. Todd it's almost- a glass door that can be walked into face first if left open. So right. it was important point of emphasis. Uh, what do we do with annoyance? I think your example is a good one because I think it is not brush it under the rug and ignore it, which I probably did for years and years when we were like really young. I don't think I would ever have told you you were annoying me when we were in our 20s. Mm-hmm. But would I annoy you? Not as much, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing was annoying before. I mean, that's the thing about crazy thing about time is, you know, until you have kids and are busy and are stretched, like things aren't as annoying when you don't have anything else to do. Mm. So, you know, when you're young, I mean, obviously you have work or you have school, but like I was less annoyed than I am now. Now I get annoyed easier because I'm just busier and, yeah. you know, a million things going on. I might get annoyed by something where I wouldn't have 20 years ago. But so not brush it under the rug. And then, I mean, the tip you, I think, give people and certainly gave to us was, you know, the, what do you call it? Like soft... Yeah, soft startup. Soft startup. So, like, we've used that really well, I think, in our relationship of, you know, when I have something or you have something, feedback I'd like to pass on when you're open to it. 
Mm, and the soft right. startup is right. if I'm not open to it, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, I can say no, not yet, but tell me later. Or you could say, no, I'm not ready to hear it. So you know it's kind of not great. Right. Because why else would I say if you're ready for it? Right. So now you've been warned that, hey, something interesting is going to come up, whether it's bad or annoying or whatever. And so it really just sort of diffuses the situation. And I feel like our relationship has been so much better since we started saying that to mm -hmm. each other, yep. especially me to you. I say that to you a lot. It's so helpful because, right, I'm somebody who has a very slippery slope from accountability into shame. Right. It's really hard for me to stay with being accountable for things that I do that are subpar or thoughtless or impulsive. Right. I slip very quickly from being accountable to it to being ashamed of myself. When right. I'm ashamed of myself, then you can't reach me and it's right. all... A, you, know. you don't take the feedback and B, you're likely to point out something I do that annoys you, <laughs> which is really not productive when no, you want not. somebody to... You know, just do one thing and you ask them politely and they say, well, then you <laughs> well, should start you. wiping down the countertops as well. No, right. It doesn't feel like your message has been heard. I give us a real round of applause on that because I feel like in the last like couple of years, probably since you started writing the first book, I feel like is there was part of it that was in the book and I started using that more. And it, it is a little unnatural. It's just like feels like a lot of words and why should, you know, but it's a skill, right? It's just mm -hmm. like anything else. Like if you turning with your turn signal on is safer. Why wouldn't you always put your turn signal on? So if you got something to tell somebody that's a little like critical, why wouldn't you always say it this way? Right. Let me know when you're available for some feedback. And then you say it. And if the person's still not available for it, then that's another conversation. But right. I would guess that would help nine out of 10 people, if not more. And it's really funny when our kids do it now to us. Yes. They do. <laughs> right. All right. Let's do one more. Somebody had wanted to know from you your favorite and least favorite part about being married to a relationship therapist. Yeah, that one is complicated. And I do use that a lot at cocktail parties. That's like my big, haha, I get everybody laughing when I they say, you know, does your wife work? And I say, oh, yeah, she's a marriage expert. You want to ever be, you learn what you're doing wrong, marry a marriage expert. Ha ha, everybody laughs. It's really funny. <laughs> I thought you guys um, do the baseball thing. Right. So what I would say the best part is some of which we've touched on before is just the notion of how much good you share with the world and to have access to that, like to have you as in most ways, kind of the head of the household of, you know, sort of the emotional household, certainly maybe not the financial household or whatever. Um, we kind of divide and conquer things or the, you know, this or that, but I mean, that's just immeasurably good for our family. And I've always felt so immeasurably good for our extended family. I feel like you know, things happening in your family, you're kind of at the center of, you know, what's going to be done to solve it emotionally and solving some really, really difficult problems that might have gotten solved without you in the family, but probably wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. And in our family, it's not always problems, but just sort of keeping everybody on the right track of being kind, compassionate people who are not afraid to talk about their feelings or use empathy. Like our kids have so much empathy and I don't think me raising them with somebody else would have been that way. I'm a kind person, but I just don't easily emote empathy. I need, I do when I'm around you and I probably, some people might even listen to this and say, wow, he's really evolved. I'm not sure I am. I think I've just sort of the lucky beneficiary of somebody who's had a lot of time talking to somebody who's really, really emotionally intelligent and has helped with that. But like having you as the lead 
of the emotions of the family is really, that's like the benefit. Like our mm -hmm. kids aren't perfectly healthy by any means. In fact, one of them like kind of hates emotions. You know, she yeah, self-proclaimed, yeah. I hate talking about my yeah. feelings. And that might be a direct reaction from having to do it so much. Yeah. But they really are empathic people. And that's, I think, one of the best human qualities. Viewing other people with love and, you know, kindness and, and trying to like put yourself in somebody else's shoes and not be too judgmental of anybody. Mm -hmm. And they're not anywhere close to perfect in anything, even in the emotional realm, but they're very, very high on the empathy scale. And I think so that to me is like the access, I guess, is the easy answer, like mm -hmm. access to your level of emotional intelligence within our family. And that includes your extended family and my extended family. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the practical downside is Sometimes you just want to kind of, you know, not talk about everything or it's sometimes it's so uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> or like, you know, you're just you always say you're a lot. You're not really a lot. You're just right, I think. But sometimes it is like, just leave this one alone. You know, like we don't have to unpack this or that every time or we don't have to do entertain this possibility of asking somebody about something or saying something to another parent of the kid's friends or, you know, yeah, sometimes right, it's right, like, right. Some problems are just too big. Let's leave this one alone. And I don't think you see the world that way. So maybe that's one. And then I guess the, that's like the nuts and bolts one. And then at a high level, there is an element to you sharing with the world, meaning your clients and your audience. You give so much to so many people and you're not a participant with any of them. So you have no level of emotionality with them because you're just their therapist or you're just their author or you're just their podcast host. Mm -hmm. With us, you're a full participant and sometimes you're the center. Oftentimes, you're frankly the center participant because you're, again, the emotional mm -hmm. center of our family. And what that means is you're oftentimes not able to give us what you give so easily to the world. Mm -hmm. And that's challenging to get your mind around that like we have one of the country's most foremost <laughs> marriage experts <laughs> And I'm the one saying, can we please just slow down and right. fight properly? Right. But like you're doing what you would tell a couple if you were sitting outside with no emotion. Mm -hmm. Never do that. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> you don't do it that often. But like when you do, it's mind bending because it is like. Sure. And that's what you were talking sure. about when you referenced the hitting coach. Like the idea that the best hitting instructors are sometimes people who either never made the major leagues or batted 207, which mm -hmm. is terrible batting average for those who don't like sports. You don't have to be perfect in your own life to be, you know, the perfect teacher. And that is hard sometimes. And I'm not perfect either. I'm not saying I am. But the idea that I like, I think on one of your thing, when we did like the Instagram live thing together, I said, you put your yoga pants on one, one, one leg at a time, <laughs> just like everybody else. That's like right. you're just a person right, 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 and you're just right. living and you're, you have a spouse and you fight with your kids. Like there are times right. where I was like, oh my God, how am I the one who's mm -hmm. handling this interaction with 17 year old? Teen, yeah. emotional teen better. And it's because, right. well, sometimes people have bad days or they get stressed and you're not her therapist, you're her mom. Mm -hmm. And I'm the dad and I might be able to pick up and do something different. So that's, right. I don't want to say that's a challenge because it's just like reality and it's unfair to expect somebody to be perfect all the time. But when you're like, you know, spending so much time dispensing all this stuff and helping the world and, uh, you know, if you feel like you don't have access to that, in a given moment, it could feel like you could take it personally. We choose not to. And I think the kids right. don't either. But it could be like, oh, wait, why are you talking to that client again? Or why are you posting on Instagram? You should be 
talking to us what's going on in here. Right. That's right. But I think we all are very proud of what you do and happy with what you do. So that's like a momentary thing, but it is kind of just a mind bending thing. It's Yeah. Like cognitive dissonance. Like it's hard to hold those pieces yeah. together. Yeah. And I think probably that is one of the reasons that I'm good at my job is that I know there's nothing a client can say to me or a topic that comes up where I'm not like, oh no, I completely understand that. Like my life has been a journey of right. recovery and healing and growth and understanding. Yeah. And, and you're not, not emotionally done. involved. You're emotionally involved because you care about everybody, but you're not a participant in any of your That's client right. situations That's right. and you're a participant right. in ours. So when it comes right. time, like stressful thing happens in our house, your reaction or your fight or flight reaction to it or whatever sure. your anxiety yeah is so much higher in our house than it would be when you're with a client. Well, right. That's right. Oh, okay. I've loved this deep dive. I'm so glad we did it. I'm so glad you've been here. It's been a pleasure talking with you as always. <laughs> After 30 years, I still love talking with you. So I would come back anytime and do anything um, related to your great show. I'm your biggest fan. Thank you, honey. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Todd, for taking this leap with me. Thank you, Reimagining Love listener, for tuning in. I hope that you will carry some aspect of this conversation into your own life and that it will serve you well. As a reminder, we are taking a short break in July and will resume episodes on August 2nd. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to the show on the app that you are using right now so that you know when we are back. In the meantime, check out our catalog of over 30 past episodes. I hope that you will revisit some of your favorites or perhaps discover ones that you may have missed along the way. Thank you again for listening. Happy summer and be well. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan and Danelle Cloutier of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want to have answered on the show? Follow the link in the show notes of this episode to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. I can't wait to hear from you. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus chews. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.